Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. It's that time again, time to jump into our study of church history as we have been plotting our way through the centuries of church history, uh, which we've literally been doing, um, there's been a consistent element that has stood out regarding the people and more particularly the, the men of church history. And today we want to give an objective viewpoint, and as we said before we came on, as much as lies within us to do so. <laughs> Nobody's completely objective. But we want to give an objective viewpoint of the men of church history, and we want to be honest. We want to see their shortcomings, all the while having the right and biblical viewpoint when we look at it. And so I think in our culture, we tend to look back on history and judge those who came before us with a more holier than thou. Somehow we have arrived, we have attained as no other society or culture has attained. And that's the viewpoint that tends to dominate today. Um, and, And we think this is wrong and not healthy. So we want to really jump into this, how does God use men within church history, or how has he used men, I should say, within the course of church history, to actually change the course of how history was going. From a human viewpoint. From a human viewpoint. Obviously, we know that God is sovereign. He rules and reigns. So three things that are going to um, guide us today, as typical, we're usually on par for three. (laughs) So uh, God uses the fervency of men. God uses the faithfulness of men, and God uses the failures of men. When you say the fervency of men, what what do you mean by that? Well, when you look at church history, I think you can compare it to biblical history. If you look at biblical history, New and Old Testament, you see men, and we often think of them as sort of bigger than life, but what I think is we see men who were uh, particularly fervent about something. Some were not. You know, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. But when I mean, you think about uh, uh, men like, uh, I mean, uh, the Apostle Paul, and you think about. He's pretty fervent. Yeah. Uh, they were fervent. There was a fervor to their approach to life and to something bigger than their life. And. Um, so in church history, we see that among not not every man or woman, for that matter, who was of particular significance in church history were what were crazy, uh, emotional, fervent people. Right. But but I do think that God took men who were particularly fervent about some had a had a a passion about something. I mean. For Luther, it was the gospel itself. For uh, Calvin, it was the gospel and other things, the word of God. And uh, I mean, when you look at guys like people who are willing to die at the stake, you know, to burn, right? Then that takes some fervor. Well, you look at Martin Luther when he went before, I believe it was the Diet of Worms, and he had to stay up and or had to stand up and give that famous, you know, yeah, it worms, quote. yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty fervent. Yeah. It's pretty emotional. Yeah. It's pretty um I don't think he probably said it kind of ho hum. No. And and if you look at 
I mean, if you look, um, we'll, we're going to deal with these people more specifically at other times. We're not going to deal with them all, all about them now. But you look at the Holy Club that came along with George Whitfield, the Wesleys. Which we hadn't even gotten into American history yet. Yeah, I thought about the name of Hervey. And uh, uh, these guys, I mean, you you would be hard-pressed to find a man more fervent for the gospel than George Whitfield. Right. And uh, uh, so God used that to impact the history of the church, the progress of the church. and so what you see is when we speak of fervor, we speak of fervency, we're speaking of emotion, the emotion of fervency. Uh, you know, we're not all equally emotional. And we're going to, we're going to talk about movements in our next podcast. I know I sound like I'm in a barrel. That's because I am. So <laughs> I hope folks can take that, but good old but, summer uh, cold. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about movements and how those movements Sometimes we're impacted or started by men, but uh, when you take uh, uh, the emotional aspect of life and of church history, you know, when you take someone like Fred, I, I quoted Francis uh, of Assisi. He was from the city of Assisi, Italy, and he just, uh, he suddenly. I don't think it was sudden. I think he had been thinking about right. this, but he was wealthy. He came from a wealthy family. He suddenly took a vow of poverty and decided, I don't, whatever I have, I don't want it anymore. I want to help the poor. And those, you don't come to that overnight. No. And it takes an emotional aspect. You don't just do that with an oh ho hum sort of approach to it. And so this kind of fervency we're going to see, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at the men and the movements that affected the latter years of church history in particular from the 1700s up to the present day and uh and what we see is some some pretty emotionally involved men and uh uh which then created an energy well that, people responded to this yeah, yeah. well it, emotion can catch you know and then there's this energy that's very real that uh I mean, someone like uh, I go back to Whitfield. He was uh, he began to preach in the open air, and, and thousands would come to hear him. He had evidently an incredible voice, and so that would get attention for. It still takes way. physical energy to do that, though. Yeah, it takes physical energy, even and if you have natural energy. ability. Yeah, and so what we see is God used men who had a fervor about a particular thing. Some of it was about the gospel alone. Some of it was about particular particulars of the gospel and of the church. I mean, things like baptism and things like uh, uh, preaching. We think of Chrysostom was way So what back. you're saying is there was some men who were particularly fervent about particular things. There were. And so, you know, nobody had it all right or, were, right. or had affected everything that had to do with the church or, or scripture or theology because none of us is complete. We're all part of a, we're, we're all uh, with strengths and weaknesses that we have that, that are applied to what's going on in the history of the church. So, so when we say a fervency, God took men who had a fervor for something. That had to do with scripture. And sometimes it was, and we'll see this later, sometimes it was for something that really didn't have anything to do with scripture, but they seemed <laughs> to act like it did. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you study church history. Um, and I noticed this in particular with uh, Martin Luther. 
is that there are men who were kind of on the edge, but they weren't quite willing to go the direction that Martin Luther were. Right. And obviously for, I guess we say obvious reasons, nothing ever really happened to them. Right. And uh, the guy I'm thinking of right now is, is totally <laughs> slipping my mind. But these guys would come out and say things, but it's like they wouldn't say enough. Well, they didn't want to rock the boat too much. Right. I, we talked about that when we talked about the Puritans in England. There was a particular fellow, his name escapes me right now, but he, he we're he, both winning right he now. He held to some of those. Uh, he held to the views of the Puritans, but he didn't want to push anything over or break anything. He he just wanted to have the influence with within, right? So within the, the circumference of the Anglican Church. So God used both, but but the ones that really stand out are the ones who responded with the fervor that we see in some in, in church history. So we have fervency, and then we had faithfulness. And I think faithfulness is often misunderstood. We put faith and faithfulness t- together, and we often think of like faith in Christ, so my right. faith. And we hear that word kicked around in our society. Well, my faith is very important to me. Right. When we talk about faithfulness, which is interesting that Paul challenges Timothy to remain faithful. Right. That's a whole different thing. That that's a that's an evidence of something that is real and that you will not be moved from that. It's it's a rock solid bottom is how I'm I'm seeing it. And so if if I'm understanding you correctly, when we're talking about God uses faithful men in history, these are men who would not be moved. I think Genuine faithfulness is a product of genuine faith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But there are people who are faithful to the wrong things. Or there are those who will say, yeah, my faith is very important to me, as you said, but they're not faithful to the Word of God. And when it came to – we go back to Luther, and we'll go back to him because we're probably not going to go back to him much anymore. But but, uh, we think of Luther as – as nailing the theses to the door, mm-hmm. and then that speech at the Diet of Worms or Worms, and he, uh, and but he went on to have a faithful home. He got married, had children, he he uh, he had influence. He he endured, and I mean he was he was close to being martyred, but then the Lutheran Church was formed, and he. He became uh, a leader in the Lutheran Church. He also had the backing of some political leaders, which really helped him. That didn't hurt, yeah. Uh, and, and, and Which goes to show you that politics within the realm of Christianity is not always bad. <laughs> yeah. But it did help him ha- be able to have a platform and not be burned at the stake or, or whatnot. I mean, he right. had uh, – um, he was pulled out and, and in seclusion for quite some time. Yeah, in the providence of God, circumstances worked out so that he did not have to die. And I think of William Wilberforce. We're not going to talk too much about yeah. him because we'll talk about him later. But but uh, you don't have a man who endured, you know. Who, and physically he had yeah, issues. Yeah. yeah, and endurance is a matter of physical commitment. So in endurance uh, – you, uh, to, it requires a, a faithfulness, you know. I mean, in a human sense, you think of people who have endured and gotten things done just in a secular way. But these are men who are committed to the gospel, to the word of God, and to the glory of God over a long period of time. And then what was the effect of this faithfulness? Well, 
we'll see that as we go into some of these lives and some of these movements. But even even if they didn't endure for a long period of time, if they were uh, burned at the stake, they still were faithful. Yeah. They endured as long as the Lord had right. them where they until were the at. Until the end. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Until their lives ended. Uh, Luther and Calvin, of course, left the legacy of denominationalism that has lasted uh, in spite of the fact that in the past couple hundred years, Lutheranism and even Presbyterianism to some degree have fallen on hard times theologically. But uh, but there's a fruit to God. So God in his providence, his grace, has used men and women, but we're speaking particularly about men, who were faithful and endured suffering, endured hardship, endured loss, endured danger, endured uh, the the lack of ability to live life normally, as we would say, and and their lives produced fruit. I mean, well, I think of Charles Spurgeon, who was faithful and really went through a lot for the Lord and endured a lot for the Lord, but there's nobody more published than Charles Spurgeon. The fruit of his ministry continues to go on. So, uh, so anyway, that's that's the idea there that this faithfulness that God uses uh, in church history. What about the effect of it? Well, and of course, I think we'll see more of that as we look at movements because movements came out of a lot of this faithfulness. Right. But uh, uh, what we what we have today, I think we have to be grateful because what we have today as the people of God is the fruit of that faithfulness, that endurance mm. that we've seen. Uh, and when we look back, we, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but we're not looking at men who perfectly lived for God and perfectly represented God. They were, but, but they, we are enjoying the fruits of their labors. Well, and I don't, I think church history, often we can confine church history to the actual church, the local church, the people. But I do think that what happened in church history echoed throughout history as a whole. Right. I mean, you look at American history, more broadly, we look at Western civilization. Right. Was so incredibly affected by the Reformation, which we saw and talked about. But we're going to see even more as we look at American history and the church and how that formed and, and, and the Great Awakenings and the things up until modern time. That The effect of that is great. And you know, it's interesting. We've lost that, I think, this is why we're studying this. And I bring this out. I was talking with someone who was not a believer. This is a few years back. It was actually the year we were doing P for C and the Reformation. And he and I were having a conversation, and he asked me what P for C was. It had come up in conversation. So I explained to him, and then I told him what we were going to be studying. I assumed that his historical knowledge, at least, being a, he was a college grad, would be that of, I know what the Reformation is. Right. I may not be a Christian, I don't really care about it, but I know what the Reformation is and its effect upon history just in general. When I mentioned it, he literally said to me, what's the Reformation? Wow. Which means he does have a very much of a view of Western civilization. Well, that shows you what's happening in universities and colleges now. Yeah. But my point in saying that is, is that you have to be able to see the effect that this had, whether, you know, you know, whether we're, you know, religious or not. So I think I think that's something that's important, you know, and we've got to we've got to really bring out. Well, yeah, because honestly, you can have a really thorough view of Western civilization without a view of the church, because the church and Western civilization are almost running on parallel tracks. And yeah, yeah, Western civilization 
is the church, <laughs> and church history is Western civilization. But the effect needs to also be boiled down to us as believers. I think you know what I'm saying. We do see the broader history, but yeah. what about the effect that it has upon us yeah. as believers? Yeah, and we're talking, of course, about Western civilization. We're not talking about China and South America, right. and although those things are affected, but still, yeah. So, so anyway, this endurance. God used men who endured hardship, endured loss, even right. of life. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so we have the fervency. We have the faithfulness. Um, number three, God uses the failures of men, and I think this one's key. And our whole goal of how God uses men, because I think I stated this before, we tend to look back at history with a more holier than now. We somehow have arrived. Yeah. And that's very popular in our culture today. I think it's not only among secular culture, I think it's even among church culture. Yes. That I'd- we will look back in history. And I've had people say this, well, I don't really want to have anything to do with Martin Luther. He was a, uh, anti-Semitic. Right. And so he has nothing to say to me. I will honestly say, yes, you are correct. Right. He's a Jew hater, okay? But I also want to say, so are a lot of other people. Like, that was a, a normal thing. It's right. kind of like looking at our American history right. and seeing the, the blight on our history of slavery. And, and simply saying, you know, well, you know, it's all bad because, well, no, because our system of government actually allowed us to do away with slavery. Right. Ultimately, right. it took some time, but it took time to do that. And so to look back on history with a holier than now is a very bad way of looking at history. It is. I, uh, I was quoting you off air about um, uh, listening to Thinking in Public, which is a podcast by Al Mohler. He was interviewing a historian, and, and this historian made the point that it's – a bad way of doing history is to impose the present standard on mm. uh, past history and then to right. judge. He says, uh, we acknowledge the failures, we, but we don't just turn off their effect and their importance in history. We don't cancel them. We don't get rid of them because— well, And that's in your you say that because it's very popular to do now. It is. So, yeah. uh, so anyway, with this in mind, you know, God used— what we call the fallibility of man. There was man, men are fallible. Which we've mentioned this before, even within the context of church history, the view of original sin. Right. Well, if you don't have that, if you if you don't see the depravity of man, then you tend to be arrogant. You tend to think in holier-than-thou terms, and you look at history with this holier-than-thou view of those who walk in history. We would, I would never have done that. <laughs> they were particularly heinous. Their failures were particularly bad. In reality, uh, that that sort of diverts our attention from the present failures. Just practically speaking, that's a bad way to look at anything at any time, no matter what. Relationships, history, doesn't matter. Right. If you look at somebody and say, well, what he's done is worse than what I've done, you're, you're automatically on a bad footing right there. Yeah, and we're not talking here about justifying no. anti-Semitism. We're not talking about justifying someone like um, Zwingli, who, right. who um, basically was a warrior. I mean, well, he, we don't know if he killed people. He was a, a medic, so to speak, and but uh, or a chaplain. But there's there's some heinous things been done right. in the name of God. Even the Reformation. Yeah. We, we're thankful for the things that have come out of them. We, we say, oh, Lord, help me not to right. ever think that way. But so what you see is this fallibility uh, of man. And we also see frailty. We see weakness. I mean, 
Uh, I think of David Brainerd, and we won't talk much about him right now, but uh, here's a man who, who had fervor. He was, what, 27 years old when he died? Yeah, like 28. or he made, I don't think he made it to 30. No. And he, uh, uh, his weakness. Now, who doesn't know in Christian? Well, probably a number of people don't nowadays, but, but he's a, you know, his letters, his, his, uh, diary is common reading. Uh, his commitment to the gospel, take the gospel to the Indians was, was, uh, is exemplary. But, so, could he live longer? Probably, yeah. Uh, but weakness, we see weakness. God uses, and, I, and we'll see more of that as we go through the next uh, few weeks as we move toward the end of our study. And then we see failures. Uh, we'll see as we look at the, the period of time. We're going to move into the 18th century and uh, 1700s and to the present. We're going to see failures but the how God used failures in the lives of those who who are a part, a very important part of church history. Well, I think some listeners will have already noticed those failures. We've brought some of those out, or if we haven't brought them out, and we've talked about these men in, in a very good light, right? and they're students of history, they will already know about that. Right. So that's why we're talking about it. We're going to address the elephant in the room, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what yeah. we're doing here. Yeah. And and realizing that these men were failures, but they were fallible. Um, and I think we have to also remind ourselves that 100 years from now, what are people going to look back and see what we did and go, well, gosh, they got that wrong. Right. Yeah. How how frail, how weak, how fallible will we appear 100 or 200 years from now if the Lord does not return? And the truth is, there'll be plenty to find fault right. with. Do you think that's the biggest application that we can take away from this and how we look at this right now with think, men, as we look at men in history. I think there are two. Church There's the humility factor, and that's just what we just talked about. Let's watch our arrogance, our sense mm. of pride in what we, where we are, not just personally, but in history. And uh, two is to learn from the failures of the past. Try to because since we know that we are capable. Of, of error. We're capable of failure. We are weak. We are not as nearly the men we think we are. Then for us to, you know, what Paul told the Corinthians about the Old Testament, you know, these things happen to them to be examples to us. I think we can take church history that way. Hmm. Uh, we, we, the church at large will not arrive until Christ returns. You know, it will, it will be changing. And most generations don't think the changes that are coming are good. You know, they wish right. that those things would stay the way they were. And that's where conservatism comes in. We want to conserve good. But sometimes in our desire to conserve good, we hold on to things we should turn loose right. on. Uh, you know, uh, the history book's not done yet. And right. uh, we can learn from the history book. We're still book writing it. Up till now. It's yeah. still being written, yeah. maybe I should say. Well, it's been good. Now we're going to move into uh, methods next, I do believe, if I'm not wrong. Um, we're going to move into methods. To movements. To movements. Sorry, I said methods. Yeah. Movements. But um, hopefully this is giving you a perspective that or gives you a gained perspective that you didn't have as we've been working through church history. We look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization 
This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter, at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.